SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring some of the geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow happen. This week, as always, I'm joined by Stefan Chin. Mm, hi. What's your tagline? Ooh, uh, wrangle me impressed. Yeah, it's very good. High quality tagline. We are also joined by Sam Schultz. What's your tagline? Big mouthful of bugs. Big oh. mouthful of bugs. Yep. That's too bad. Sorry <laughs> to hear about that. And also, as usual, Sari Riley is here. Hi. Hello. What's your tagline? One juicy grape. Ooh. <laughs> and I'm Hank Green. Sprite flavored vape juice. Ooh, yummy. That's Sarah's favorite flavor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've vaped so much Sprite flavored juice. Please tweet at Sarah and tell her not to vape anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the studio right now. It's yeah. the office environment. As a famous science communicator, did you get any of the space smell perfume? No, that sounds like something that should have happened to me. I This is the only reason I want to be famous is so people will send me weird stuff sometimes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, Lockheed Martin, for their April Fool's joke, but that was kind of real, bottled up space smell 
Uh, but you were my one hope of smelling this myself, <laughs> and now I have no hope. I'm sorry. We well, talked I... about space smell on tangents. We should have all gotten a bottle of That's smell. Right. Yeah. Why aren't they? Why isn't Lockheed Martin listening to our podcast? Tweet them. <laughs> yeah. Tweet them. Twitter em. campaign. Everybody tweet that. <laughs> so in case you're new here on SciShow Tangents, every week we get together to try to one up and amaze and delight each other with science facts. We're playing for glory. We're also playing for Hank Bucks, Sam. Have you done the math on who is in the lead? I do have the scores, in fact. Uh, would you like to? Hear I would that? love to. <laughs> All right. In last place is Sari with 22 points. Oh, <laughs> what? In second to last place is Hank with 22 points. <gasps> so we're tied I think for that last. That sounds like a tie. I'm doing well. Uh, why why oh, yeah. am I doing better Sorry. than Sari? In double last place. <laughs> <laughs> In second place is Stefan with 23 points. Whoa, oh, you're so very close to being well, tied with us. Yeah, so I'm not doing that well. Guess who's not close to being tied with you? Me in first place no. Oh, no. with 28 points. Whoa! <laughs> Stefan recently said he won for the very first time. Has he really only ever won one that time? Was, he was wrong about that, too. Oh, okay. He won a lot. Of, he's won a lot, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. He wow. just doesn't remember. I just forget. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things with people like like us. We don't remember the good things that happen to us. Oh, only no. The bad. <laughs> all right. So now we know that Sam is the one to get, and the rest of us are basically yeah. all equal. No. Let's get it. That's him. not how it's supposed to work. <laughs> Thank you for letting us know. <laughs> okay. That you're the one to get. Uh, so we do everything we can to stay on topic here on Tangents, but I would be much more in the closer to Sam if I... Didn't sometimes get my tangents deemed unworthy by the rest of you and have to give up one of my Hank bucks, yeah. which is a thing that happens. That is your downfall. It is part of my downfall anyway. Now, as always, we're going to introduce this week's science topic with a traditional science poem. Like a group of screaming boys, or a little baby's toys, or the sizzle of LaCroix, a podcast is noise. We are all immersed in gas, molecules with mass, bumping as they pass the energy they amass. And right now my mouth is proud throughout to form the words I wish aloud. The verbs and nouns endowed they sprout and crash in waves through air and brains, the growl unbound, the howl of hounds. Propound, profound, we're drowned in sound. That's so much rhyming. Yeah. Did you hear throughout with a loud? I did. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> it's very poetic. I, I feel like that has felt more like a poem than a lot of things that I've done, just because it's a lot of like well, mouth to, sounds. To be fair, way. I usually do a limerick. <laughs> <laughs> I had a, I had about a half hour to work on a poem, so I worked on it. Thank you to RhymeZone.com. That only yeah. took you half an hour? My poems take me a long time. Oh, really? Yeah. I usually do... Fine in like 10 minutes. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. My poems take as long as it takes me to research for a fact off. Oh. What? <laughs> Sometimes, <laughs> not every time. It well, depends. yeah, Sari takes like four hours to research yeah, a fact off. I'm like trying, I find like a list of facts. And it's like, okay, which one's the best one? And then you read like four papers. Yeah, and then I read. Goes to primary sources. Nobody goes to primary sources. Yeah, I have to be prepared for mansplainers, people who call my science communication stuff into question. You do. Ugh. So, people come, like me, people just trust whatever I say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's that like? And if anybody ever called me out, I think I'd be like, I don't know. Let's ask Sari. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sari, 
Be our expert. What is sound? So sound is a pressure wave that's created by some sort of vibrating object. So in the case of our voices, that's our vocal folds that are Mm -hmm. vibrating and they're transmitted through the medium of air. So like the air molecules are transmitting this wave um, and then it vibrates our eardrums, which Mm -hmm. sends a signal to our brain. But any sound is like vibrations caused by something. And it can the pressure wave can pass through multiple different medium. It doesn't have to be air or gas. It can travel through solids. It can travel through liquids. Like you can hear underwater. Song. Are all pressure changes sound? Well, so here's the rub. Is it a sound if it's not hearable? So according to dictionary, uh, vibrations that travel through air uh, or another medium that can be heard when they reach a person or animal's ear. So if a tree falls in the forest, it does make a sound, but it also makes vibrations that are pressure waves that are not sounds because even if a person or animal were present, they could not detect that those pressure waves. Is there a distinction <laughs> between sound and acoustic energy? What's acoustic energy? <laughs> I feel I guess I feel like there are frequencies that a subwoofer can produce that are mostly felt rather than Mm, heard. mm. And that feels like it's sound energy, but you're not, and you are hearing it, but like most of that energy you're not actually hearing, I guess. I don't really know. Well, according to dictionary, it must be detected with the ear. Okay. (laughs) So if your ear is rumbling, if you feel it in your bones and your ear, then yes. But if it doesn't, the vibrations don't reach up to your ear, then okay. no. Okay. You only feel it in, like, your calves. And- oh, yeah. boy. Why are the questions always so hard to answer? That's, like, the hardest question every episode is, what is the topic? Mm-hmm. And now it's time for... One of our panelists has prepared three science facts for our education and enjoyment, but only one of those facts is real. The other panelists have to figure out by luck or deduction which is the true fact. If they do, they get a Hank Buck. If they're tricked, then Stefan will get our Hank Buck. Stefan, what are your three dubious, deceitful, deficient facts? Wow. Number one. Tuning forks generate a single frequency, which you can represent visually as a sine wave. But more complex sounds like voices contain many sine waves that are sort of overlaid and shifting around quickly as you change the sounds that you're making. Uh, And so you end up with a really complex-looking waveform if you were to try to draw that out. But a team of researchers and engineers created a device called the Banshee (laughs) that you can feed an audio file to of someone saying a phrase, and the device can mimic that phrase by striking a series of tuning forks... (gasps) in a complex sequence to recreate the interactions of frequencies that you'd get from a human voice. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. Number two. In the 1950s, some of the earliest television remotes contained tuning forks. And when you push the buttons, they would strike the tuning forks, producing ultrasonic frequencies that the television set would pick up. Oh, that sounds possible. Number three. The common wood nymph is a species of butterfly that has unusually large veins in its wings. If you strike a 440 hertz tuning fork near them, it causes these butterflies to go into a mating frenzy. (laughs) When the wing veins were damaged, though, meaning the researchers cut them, the butterflies did not respond to the frequency at all. They're like big... Ear wings. It's Dumbo. So we got number one, the Banshee, tuning forks that recreate a human voice. Number two, in the 1950s, TV remotes used tuning forks. Or number three, the common wood nymph has 
veins in its wings that respond to tuning forks and makes them go into a mating frenzy. They're all extremely good. The first one, your explanation of of like how sine waves work yeah. and they all build on each other. I was like, oh yeah, this is true. I know this. And then it got to the machine and I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Physicists do a lot of weird things with their time. So I can imagine this being totally some grad student's project, like their yeah. pet project of mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be weird if we could just use math to make voices? That's creepy, too. if they did it, they would have taken a video of it. And that video would have got uploaded to YouTube. And I've seen all the YouTube videos. (laughs) (laughs) I have a distinct memory, and this could be completely fake, of the Flintstones using a tuning fork to change a television station. Wow. With a little bird hitting the tuning fork. And I might have just invented that in my brain. But that's the one I'm going with because if... That seems Wait, familiar. Wait, you're to going me. with it because yes. it was real in the Flintstones? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I could see because everything in the Flintstones is real. Well, it's almost real, except the animal does it instead of technology. Okay. Vacuums are real, but you're not elephants. <laughs> so, <laughs> so remotes are real, but it's not a bird. That's right. Um, the mm. third one's butterfly mating. Mm-hmm. They could hear with their wings. And it made them have a feeling. (laughs) (laughs) Feeling deep in their hearts. (laughs) And other places. And other places, yeah. It made them feel all tingly. And then they had a mate. But I like that he included this thing about them damaging the wings. Mm -hmm. Because that's a thing scientists would totally do. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of, like, what the evolutionary adaptation would be for this. Like, do the butterflies, can they make this noise? So this is, like, their mating call. Maybe they make a noise or there's some kind of noise that triggers them but it is it it just also happens that this one activates that receptor protein extra much man i feel like i'm leaning heavily toward the tv remote too which makes me unhappy because I don't like to go with Sam. Why? <laughs> he's a winner. He so is a winner. I have it's the true. Most he's, always, he's always guessing right about stuff. We should <laughs> always go with Sam. Oh, I'm going to go with the Banshee because oh, it seems weird. I want it to I be true. I want it to be real. Abs- it seems like it, it seems, should be possible. It seems like it should be possible. The butterfly thing sounds too real. And Ooh. so it'd be a good lie. So I'm going to go with Banshee. <laughs> All right. What do we got? Uh, it was the TV remote. Hey! <laughs> hey, stick with me, kid. I think right. <laughs> that sounded the most fake to me. Analog. They di- they were, didn't know what they were doing weird. back in those days. They were there are so many weird ways we tried to make things yeah. work. It's great. So apparently, the one that kept coming up, and I think it was the first one, is called the Zenith Space Command <laughs> from 1956. Hell yeah. And it had little aluminum rods in it that were tuned to specific frequencies that were ultrasound. And the like pressing the button would mechanically strike these rods and mm. cause them to vibrate, which is where like the whole thing about like a clicker, calling it a clicker, comes oh. from. Oh. It would go bonk, bonk. So there were two buttons to change the channels up and down, one button to turn it on and off, and one button for volume. So I'm not sure how the volume <laughs> button oh, works. It, <laughs> it just muted. On the commercial, he was telling his butler to turn it up and down, and he was using the remote to do it. So maybe it was false advertising. Mm. The butler was using the remote? Yeah, the whole point was like, not everyone has a butler, but you can have the Zenith Space Command. Yeah, because that's what my butler does, is change (laughs) the TV channel. (laughs) They used those up through the 70s, apparently, before infrared took over for remotes. So the common wood nymph does have swollen wing veins, and they did do experiments where they cut the wing vein. From their testing, the wing veins affect how sensitive the butterfly's ears are. Hmm. And so when they cut the vein, the ears are actually less sensitive to noise. 
So they, they, there's something about the vein that is helping the butterflies here. But they don't really know how so that's this, The scientists working. did huh. cut the vein. I was yeah. right about that. I yeah. told you they'd that do that. That sounds very realistic. <laughs> uh, and then the other thing about the banshee I just made up. You just oh, made up. man! That's so good! That's so lame. That's very good. Oh, I trusted you because you know so much about sound. I'm like, oh yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, this now makes a lot of a grad student would do. It yeah. does, though. It does. If you're a grad student and you're listening to this podcast, make us a tuning fork machine that reproduces this sentence. Maybe just this word. (laughs) (laughs) Great word. Next up, the fact off. But first, let's hear from our sponsors. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. We're back. We've got points. We've got points. Sari, you've got no points. Yeah, yeah, I know. We don't all have points. <laughs> Sam's got a point. Stefan's got a point delivered directly from Sari. Mm. I got two. Thank you. I'm coming for you, Sam. Yeah, yeah. I'm staying firmly in last place. <laughs> yeah. Probably. Well, at least this episode you are. Yeah. Could you catch me? Mm, I can if I <laughs> yeah. win both the points. If she gets both points. Off. Oh, right. Yeah. And it is indeed time for the fact off. Two panelists bring science facts present to the other in an attempt to blow our minds. We each have Hank Bucks to award the fact that we like the most. So, who's gonna go first? It's the person whose favorite band is cooler. So, to preface this, I don't listen to music, really. I listen to mostly instrumental, like video game soundtracks. Uh-huh. And That's cool. Uh, musical theater, so like parody songs of things. <laughs> um, okay. So, for my favorite band, I'm gonna say Powerline from a Goofy movie. Power line from, from a, goofy a Goofy movie? I guess it's like one dude, so I don't even know if that counts as a band. But yeah, Panic at the Disco enough. is also one dude, as I've learned from our oh. office Slack chat. Yeah. He's your favorite musical artist. Tell me like one fact about Powerline, because I'm not familiar. Oh. He's a why is Powerline cool? Cartoon dog. Yeah, he's a cartoon dog. He's very <laughs> cool. The whole premise of the movie is that. <laughs> Max lied about being able to go to his concert, and so they road trip across the country just to go to his concert. And then Max and Goofy end up on stage with him singing a great song. What's the song Mm. called? Eye to Eye. Okay. It's very catchy. I think I can confirm that this must be your favorite band, because you know something about it. (laughs) I know a song, yeah. Do you think you're a bigger fan, or I think Max Goof is a bigger fan? Max Goof is a bigger fan, for sure. I don't think I've ever driven... Somewhere for a concert. I don't know. Well, if Powerline to... has not performed anywhere nearby. Sam, 
What's oh, your favorite band? Is it cooler than Powerline? Now I'm panicking. My favorite band changes all the time. Uh-huh. I think my favorite band right now is probably Foxygen. They're real, not cartoon dogs. I'm looking at a picture. They seem very cool. They seem like they seem cool enough that like I would feel uncomfortable if we were hanging out. The dog had a yellow jumpsuit, though. My interpretation of both Foxygen and Powerline is that they are confident people slash cartoon dogs. They're all three of them are very cool. Equally cool. They're very cool. I'm going to go with... No, I didn't say equally cool, because I'm going to go with Powerline, because I'm looking at some pictures, and, like, this dog is very cool. All right, Sherry, that means you go first. Okay. Yeah, why would you fight for that? You hate going first. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, as someone who is not extremely submerged in physics or technology, the science of the capture and storage of sound is very weird and cool to me, Um, especially when there are physical objects involved, like a record or Mm. a cassette tape. Because, like, you get waves and capture them, and then you can hold it in your hand, and that's just (laughs) mind-blowing science. I don't know. And so the way cassette tapes work is they're a strip coated in magnetic particles like iron oxide, and there are hundreds of millions of those particles per inch. So when that strip is exposed to a magnetic field, it will be magnetized, and the particles get realigned. For sound waves, they can be converted into an electrical signal by a device— And the electrical signal can generate magnetic fields, which can be stored in the tape. And then you have another device that undoes that process. Yes. And you reverse that process to play music. So it goes from the magnetic strip to generating electric current to a a speaker that vibrates the air molecules that end Mm -hmm. up in your ear. But magnetic tape wasn't just using cassettes. Mm -hmm. It was also used as a way to store computer programs. Sure. Why is that? Uh, Sure. Floppy disks. You remember floppy disks? Oh, sure. I'm not that old. (laughs) They're a thing. Floppy disks were a thing. They also, before floppy disks, had big reels of this tape and stuff in between punch card computers and other storage. I don't know. Yeah. What What we have nowadays, like hard drives on chips. Chips. Yeah, they're on chips now. They're on Yeah, a little snack, a little ruffles. (laughs) Yeah. So in the 1970s and 80s, when floppy disks existed, but they were still relatively new technology, I think. Um, they were really expensive. And so data storage was expensive. Mm-hmm. And an affordable option was actually cassette tapes for several types of computers, as far as I can tell. Like cassette tapes, like the ones that I would like play, get my mixtape on? Mm-hmm. They mm. could be used to store programs for computers. It only worked with certain types of machines. I don't know about this. And... This is where my understanding gets a little bit wibbly, but they basically recorded a bunch of brief audio tones to represent binary data. Mm-hmm. And one source I read said a, a few hundred bits per second, and it sounds like weird and screechy. Yeah, but like a modem noise. Yeah, mm. like a dial-up that noise. That makes sense. Yeah. And that's cool. But the next logical step to that is sending computer programs over radio broadcasts for anyone to record and use. Onto their cassette tape. Mm-hmm. That they would put in their cassette tape computer drive. And then you could play a video game. Video game? Yeah. They sent, like, mini games. One was called Manic Miner. And it looks like, I don't know, like pre-Mario Mario, where you're like, it's just a platformer. Walking around, around, jumping on stuff, grabbing (laughs) things. So they sent mini games in July 1983. A UK radio program called Datarama sent a photograph of Cheryl Ladd, who was in Charlie's Angels. 
So they just like pixelated a lady face and then sent that out. Dudes. <laughs> <laughs> and in December 1983, a show called Computer Club programmed a Christmas card with music and a dancing Ooh. reindeer and sent that out to people. <laughs> Computer Club. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, God. These people thought it was the future, didn't they? they Everything did. in the future. We'll do this all the time. We'll just send out things to people over that's the what, radio. Well, that's almost what we do. We send out stuff to people all day long, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess Wi-Fi is radio. It's just not yeah. the radio radio. They were just mm-hmm. giving it their best shot. Yeah. And uh, there was a show called Ventilator 202 in Serbia that aired around 150 computer programs in total, including short educational programs. So you could send SciShow over the radio. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. That's... At 100 bits per second. Yeah. <laughs> in screeches for a very long time. <laughs> this died out because better storage happened, yeah. like better storage than cassette tapes. It was also yeah. like wildly inefficient. Um, Someone did a comparison and they said if we were to try to broadcast Grid, which is a modern PS3 game in cassette format, it would take around four years and require a very, very, very big cassette. Uh, right, yeah. yeah. Not just four million. years of time, but yeah. like you need four years of cassette tape. Yeah. <laughs> this is the problem. But what blows my mind, and this is just like generally... There's so much like analog to digital conversion of information and back back and forth. Like you had to record it and that's one conversion and then you're broadcasting it, which is another conversion back to analog. Right. And then your receiver is picking that up, converting it again to digital and then playing that back to the speaker. And like, there's just so much conversion yeah. happening. In- and, and there are people out there with the technology to still do this. And I don't understand it enough to understand oh. what you would need, but... In the comments of this YouTube video of Manic Miner on Specky 48K, someone in the comments was like, I just hooked up the sound output of my laptop and played this video and it loaded up the game because there's all these screeches going on. So they still can convert these same sounds into a game. I definitely want to watch a YouTube video that that, uh, shows me the this process in action. If anybody can find one, let me know. Uh, There was one. Some guy did it with... Uh, Mario, I think, just oh. like a pixel sprite of Mario, oh, oh. not all of Mario, not Mario <laughs> yeah. the game. Yes, but he actually like, showed how he converted an audio file into something, and then mm. put it on a cassette tape, and then put it into a different computer, mm. and said, "Look, Here's there Mario. is no Mario sprite, and now there is one." <laughs> and I didn't understand it, but it was fun to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, okay, snorkeling around a coral reef might seem like most people. To be like a really quiet, relaxing, peaceful thing. Mm-hmm. Jacques Cousteau even called the ocean the silent world. But while it might seem quiet down there to people with human ears, like people, uh, a collaborative study <laughs> done in 2010 of coral reefs in the Las Perlas archipelago off of Panama's Pacific coast revealed that coral reefs are crazy loud. Mm, uh, scientists recorded and analyzed the sounds of the coral reef, and they discovered that they could hear crabs and shrimp clicking their claws. And that sure. was like the main background sound. They could hear that all the time. But they could also hear fish gurgling at each other and like grunting at each other and like running into stuff and going, ooh. And, <laughs> uh, they could even hear the sound of the creature of like the coral itself moving around mm, inside oh. of the coral reef. So as they listened more, they discovered that the loudness of the reefs had maybe some kind of correlation with how healthy the reef was. So they would mm. listen to lower frequency sounds and they could start to determine how many fish there were on the reef just by how loud the lower frequency sounds were. And they could listen to the higher frequency sounds and they could figure out how much coral was inside of the coral reef Mm. because there was a lot of them making lots of sounds. They also theorized that 
coral fish that swim out to sea and maybe get lost or maybe do it on purpose can listen for high-frequency coral sounds and then find their way back home or find a new reef to live in. Then in 2018, there was another study done that provided some evidence that coral larvae floating around in the ocean listens for reefs that make these high-frequency sounds and they will prioritize swimming towards and inhabiting louder, high-frequency sound reefs than lower frequency. So they're choosing where to go. They're not just planktoning. They're not, like, floating around. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they can hear the louder one and go to it. They can also move. They can locomote. Apparently they can locomote. So marine biologists are looking into monitoring reefs now with audio equipment instead of, like, mounting huge diving expeditions to check out the coral reef and figure out the health. They would just, like, sink some microphones and listen in and see how many fish there were, how much coral there was. And they are also talking about making artificial reef structures that have speakers in them that would play the sound of a healthy reef, sink those into the bottom of the ocean. And all the fish would swim toward them and be like, what? (laughs) What? (laughs) This party sucks. Well, maybe eventually it would work. Well, yeah, all the little pops would come. The pops would come eventually. I think the fish would be like, this is lame. (laughs) But the pops probably don't know better. Yeah, they're too small to know. It's like, oh, I guess the friends are really far away. (laughs) I guess these rocks are friends. (laughs) (laughs) I like that fact very much. I like, well, here's the bummer of it. Before this, you would have to go down and snorkel to do Uh a reef survey. And so that's like fun field research for scientists. And now it's like, (laughs) ah, no, just sink a mic. Sink a microphone down in there. Mm. We'll record for 30 minutes and we'll be done. And they're like, I want to go snorkel. <laughs> I, I learned to be a marine biologist. I don't want to not snorkel. That's very good. Sarah's fact is very good. Ah, I just love nerds <laughs> too much to not give it to Sari. Hmm. I'm sorry. It's a very good fact. It's not that you're way ahead. Are you sure that you don't like being in last place enough? But also, Sari's going to catch me if she gets both facts. Ooh. You're in a real conundrum right now. Still be tied. I'll, Still. Have to, I'll have to go with my gut and say I love nerds so much. Okay. They were sending Cheryl Ladd pictures to each other <laughs> via radio. That part is pretty funny. <laughs> it's like the opposite of a secret message, too. It's like a long, <laughs> screechy, loud message. Yeah. <laughs> uh, both of these facts are mind-blowing to me, but I think I have to also give it to Sari. Whoa! Oh, no! We're going to be tied again. Yeah, we're going to be tied. I'm just going to get used to the long point drought that I'm about to experience. (laughs) You already got a point this episode. Well, that's one drop of rain. Don't stop a drought, you know? (laughs) 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 That's what they always say. (laughs) And now it's time to ask the science couch, where we ask listener questions to our couch of finely honed scientific minds. Sam, what you got? At N.G. Jenkins asks, why does music, not lyrics, make us feel things like harmony? Why does harmony feel good? So there's two things here. Both of them don't make any sense. (laughs) One of them makes slightly more sense. So like a sound wave has like a certain number of vibrations per second. Mm -hmm. Harmonies are when like there are good ratios between those things. When I learned that, I was like, that actually surprises me that it makes that much sense. Because like, how does my brain no like i'm not hearing like vibration frequencies when i hear a sound mm-hmm. how does my brain know that that ratio exists it does apparently and it can tell and it likes that and it likes certain ratios more than other ratios and like weird ones sound discordant and like whole number ratios 
sound nice. Mm -hmm. But then there's the thing of like, why does a minor chord sound sad and a major chord sound happy? And I'm like, meh. Eh? <laughs> uh, is that cultural? Is it like, is it genetic? Like, it seems very innate to me. Mm -hmm. To me, it feels like there's a large cultural component yeah. to it. So there's harmonies, which is like related frequencies. Mm -hmm. And then there's harmony as like a thing that's like a set of rules by which you write Western music. That's governed a lot of Western music for hundreds of years. So that's just like something that we've we grow up with and like are used to right. like what a major scale sounds like and mm -hmm. what a minor scale sounds like. Mm -hmm. And like those are things that we learn to enjoy, I guess. And interpret, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I still feel like there is some innateness to it. Yeah. I, I might be wrong, but so, like a minor chord sounds sad, man. With harmonies, I found a study that makes it seem like there's some innateness to it. So there are some people called amusics or amusia. It's, it's a musical disorder that is either acquired, which occurs as a result of brain damage, or mm -hmm. it is like inherited, which results from some sort of brain anomaly. And it huh. doesn't affect a lot of your life. It's just uh, you can't process pitch very well and don't have musical memory or recognition. Wow. So, like, I don't so there's like tone deafness, and then there's amusia, where it's like, look, I, I have a brain disorder. Yeah. I'm not saying I can't sing. I'm saying like, this whole idea doesn't make sense. To mm -hmm. me. That's I interesting. Asked, and I couldn't find like a really good like definition or examples, but I'm sure they're out there. And I'm sure the, there are people out there that could describe it better than I can. But it sounds like my understanding of it is like if you hum something at them, they could not repeat that. Like there's mm -hmm. no musical memory whatsoever. And so a study about harmony had found some A music people and and people who can process music normally. And the A musics didn't have a preference for harmonic over inharmonic tones. Ooh. So there's something in the recognition of music part of our brains that also leads to the good feelings with harmony in addition to the cultural thing. So there's some like recognition of this mathematics that's happening. Yeah. These nice these nice math noises. Uh, so, so at least like this sounds nice more than this is a happy chord or a sad mm. chord. Yes. Yeah. yeah. More so than the feelings. And then the feeling stuff seems to be like completely arbitrary and scientists are just kind of like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> because okay, good to know. we know that it does make us feel things and it does cause physiological effects, but we don't know how. Mm. Um, and we're limited just by like the tools we have in mm. most of these cases. So, right. we so only you can put someone in fMRI and be like, they're feeling a thing. And it's like, yeah, I mean, we knew that they were feeling things. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. We have like <laughs> fMRI and PET scans and or like PET tomography and a bunch of different imaging techniques that let us see the brain while things are happening. And so we can it's look like we just spent $10,000 to report that indeed that cord made you feel good. Yeah. And we can like localize it to certain areas of the brain. So places that have been called out are like the nucleus accumbens, which is a reward center of the brain, amygdala, which is emotions, the hypothalamus, which is involved in like other nervous system functions, mm -hmm. so like blood pressure or your heart rate or things like that, mm -hmm. which is basically just reinforcing the things that the subjective experiences that we've already been told. Do other animals harmonize like wolves and stuff? Uh, birds kind oh. of do. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that wolves intentionally harmonize. They sometimes do it accidentally. Okay. I've heard it. It's very chilling. Yeah. But birds definitely do intervals. I don't mm -hmm. think they harmonize with each other, but they will go from one to oh. another interval. That uh -huh. is... That's uh, like a like a whole number ratio. Yeah. 
Cool. Thanks to Nick for your question. It was fascinating to explore. If you want to ask the Science Couch, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out the topics for upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to Awkward Amoeba and Juan Rich Dog and everybody else who tweeted us your questions this week. Final Hank Buck scores. Sarah, you are at zero. You were at zero, and now you're at two. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you said, I am at zero? Sarah, you got no point. No, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> I counted. Those two hang bucks are hard-earned. Uh, Sam, you got one. Okay. And Stefan, one. And me, too. Mm-hmm. Bye. I wasn't as deceitful as I was hoping to be today. Do better. <laughs> Fool that one. I do often, when I'm constructing them, think about Sam. Weirdly really? enough, yeah. It's like, what would Sam think? Kind yeah. Of sharp, inquisitive, Sherlock Holmesy in mind. So. <laughs> if you like this show and you want to help us out, it is very easy to do that. First, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. That is very helpful and it helps us know what you like about the show. Second, you can tweet out your favorite moment from this episode, which we'll look at and go, <laughs> that was great. And finally, <laughs> if you want to show your love for tangents, you can just tell people about us. Thank you for joining us. I have been Hank Green. I've I've been Sarah Riley. I've been Stefan Chin. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is a co-production of Complexly and WNYC Studios. It's created by all of us and produced by Sam Schultz and Caitlin Hoffmeister. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our social media organizer is Victoria Bongiorno. And we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. One more thing. If you swallow air and that triggers a fart, Mm. that fart will be louder because there will be more volume. But if the fart is created by the fermentation of bacteria in your intestine, it will be smaller, but stinkier and also quieter. So there is truth Mm. to what they say. Silent but violent. Thank you for this wisdom that you've imparted to us. (laughs) 